Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Billington, and we're back to preview this weekend's Zandvoort Grand Prix. We're off to the Netherlands for the Dutch Grand Prix. It's all very exciting, especially if you're a Max Verstappen fan. And normally at this point, I'd introduce one or even both of my typical co-hosts. But uh, Timo has managed to pursue individual projects and Ellie May isn't doing so hot, so she's taken an understandable night off. That's not to say that I'm doing this entirely on my own. We do have a guest and joining us from along the racing line it's Immy Cousins welcome thank you how are you this evening very well thank you how are you not too bad it's quite warm actually all things it's we've all of a sudden had another summer's day which is quite unlike the usual pattern what have you been up to through sort of today oh just getting ready to head back to uni really doing a load of prep work nothing massively exciting Ah, all the usual sort of the weird leg work that comes into getting set for Are you looking forward to return of F1 for the second half of the season? Yeah, give me something to do on my Sundays again instead of being at work. <laughs> Been uh, missing listening to the Dutch National Anthem at about 5pm on a Sunday. Have you? Yeah, I, I've got a friend who has a nice habit of performing it when we all watch it together and I've been missing that to be honest as well. That is quite something. I keep telling myself one day I'll learn the lyrics to the Italian National Anthem so I can in hope sing along when Ferrari finally win something but... <laughs> They keep giving me more and more time to learn it and I keep forgetting to ever bother to learn the words. So sort of works in one regard. Anyway, we'll move on to our usual news segment of what the hell has happened. And um, well, we've finally got some FP1 drives. We've been devoid of uh, them so far this season as everyone's been trying to focus on getting their cars developed. They haven't really had an FP1 to give up. However, um, Vesti has been announced that he's heading into the Mercedes seat, replacing uh, George Russell in Mexico. And uh, Oli Behrman has reportedly been uh, signed up to drive for Haas in Austin, plus a Pirelli test with Ferrari post-season in Abu Dhabi. But that has yet to be confirmed. Uh, But Ferrari have said that Robert Schwartzman will be stepping into his usual FP1 roles. Uh, He's coming at Zandvoort, where he'll be stepping in for Carlos Sainz. And at the end of the season in Abu Dhabi, he'll be sitting in for Leclerc in the opening sort of part of the weekend. Have you got any other drivers that you'd like to see step in for an FP1 drive this season, dear? Now, those who know me well know that I am a very avid Liam Lawson fan. So I just, I always have this need to see him in the F1 car, but I know that realistically it's maybe not too likely or it might be dependent on how the super formula season ends up in the end but I always want to see him doing the F1 test I I don't think it's out of the question that he'll get an F1 test whether it's in the Red Bull or the Alpha Tauri will sort of hit and miss these days it really depends who Red Bull needs to put in that seat with Ricardo now in on a full-time drive just leaves more opportunity for it yes yeah and equally when you look at the performance of Awasa and some of the other Red Bull juniors in F2 there's a, a lot of people vying for not many seats attached to that those are uh, Red Bull contracts we'll certainly get back to Liam Lawson in uh, in due course but first off it's a uh, driver contract question still hanging in the air as silly season proves to be very unsilly usually we've gone through the summer break there's been all manner of drivers swapping teams there's been all manner of sort of for raw kicking off as people buy themselves out of contract or jump ship and this year none of that's really happened in F1 that is um, Hamilton still has no contract for 2024 Haas and both have both seats still up for grabs for next year and Joe and Sargent still aren't confirmed for next year so the real question is if you were Alfa Romeo or James Vowles would you be re-signing Joe and Sargent for next year? I would say 
for respect to Joe, I think if there wasn't a very well watched Teopor chair on his way up and currently leading the F2 championship, Joe would probably be a definite re-sign. But if poor chair wins the championship and knowing how long he's sort of been in that position with the Sauber Academy, I'd say it's equally likely they're going to take a chance on him and sign him as well. So I think maybe we won't hear about that one until right at the end of the season or until like the F2 season has played out now. But then with James Vowles and Sargent and Williams, obviously it is his rookie season. Everyone's expected to take maybe a little bit of time to settle into the seat, but Sargent just really has not been performing. When you look at the results that Albon's been getting out of the car, obviously he's much more experienced in the F1 paddock and in the drive, but he's just been so much more consistent in the higher up results and Sargent's been able to pull out of the car. There's definitely been a, a significant performance gulf between Sargent and Albon. And it was, again, it's a, the Williams seat is something we'll touch on in a, in a few points time, because it is one of those things of, if you stick around, it might get good. And this is something that Alex Albon said in a press release earlier, I think it was today, he said that while he's with Williams at the moment and would like to be with them for a little longer because he's seeing some development on the horizon that's really putting the car right on track, you sort of need another driver there to also help give that feedback and help really bring it along. And I don't think as nice as he is as a person and as seemingly decent as he is as a driver, Sergeant sort of quite cuts the mustard with that one. So he could be sort of one of those names that's a great pub quiz answer, I fear, for Logan Sargent in, in years to come. Um, there hasn't been any word of contract extensions with Perez's contract running out at the end of the year. And the same for Leclerc and Sainz, Piastri and Ocon, though Sainz has stated that he sees his ongoing future in the Scarlet. So that's a little more certain there. And Leclerc has made similar noises, but his drive for a championship is rather at loggerheads with his confidence in the Scuderia. And given his strides forward McLaren uh given the strides forward that McLaren themselves as a team have taken as well as his efforts I can really see Piastri looking to extend his contract with the papaya outfit though when it comes to Ocon Alpine's tumult at the top could shake the French driver's confidence in the Enstone outfit as negotiations proceed through the tail end of the season where would he go is the big question Williams isn't a bad shout as their form and structure improves and he'd be I wouldn't say it'd be out of the ordinary to see him make that move to go and drive alongside Alex Albon. It would be an interesting move for certain, but I think it'd be silly for Alpine to throw that away. They've all of a sudden got a double French driver pairing with in a French team. It is that sort of perfect thing, especially when you're a team that's got some level of ownership by the French government. What you really want is the true national team and all of a sudden you don't want to let that slip away. Do you think Ocon would make that move to Williams? I think, because obviously... Ocon, he's a reasonably consistent driver and he's been proven to sort of been doing well when he's been past couple of teams, past couple of seasons, been doing reasonably well for the cars he's been given. And if the opportunity is there, I think he'd happily stay Alpine, stay a team that's in theory higher up for him. Also, I think he could be that perfect driver for Williams that they need because he is a really well experienced driver he's comfortable in the seat he's comfortable he knows what he's doing he gets on well everyone around the paddock really so I think it's a sort of what's Ocon offered rather than what he's sort of needing to do in a sense because again as you said like Alpine they've got the perfect ideal team at the moment but then there is also the case of that everyone's sort of 
Alpine started off well and they're maybe not looking so hot right now. So maybe you at that point where Williams and Alpine are kind of on a similar level, especially looking at the consistency of Alpine's results as well. So Williams may be looking for him as an option because he is that consistent driver and he could be pulling the same results that Albon's pulling. Yeah, it's it, it seems like a sort of strange thing to say, especially given how long he's now been at Alpine Renault. Um, think that he might make a move to somewhere else, but ultimately, if Alpine can't live up to the sort of the hope and the promise that they must have given him for this contract. I think he's within his rights to start shopping around. Um, speaking of contracts, we'll dive into the world of Formula E, where Sam Bird has signed on with the Neon McLaren uh, for the 2023-2024 season, alongside Jake Hughes, who retains his seat at the team for a second season. Sam's been in Formula E since the first season in 2014-15. He's got 11 wins to his name, 26 podiums, six poles over his nine years in the sports. The question is, will this coming season be the one where he takes the crown from Jake Dennis? Oh, that is a very good question. See, Sam Bird is sort of known as like, part. he's just part of the paddock because he's been there that long. And he is good. He's been consistently up there for a while. But then you've got all these other people like coming up the ranks as well in Formula E that it's so contested at the top. And just, I love, that's what also I love about Formula E is that it goes right down until the end to see who's actually there winning the championship. I think Sam Bird does have it in him. So if McLaren can provide the machinery that he needs and they have like the good powertrain, everything in the car, I think that that is something that's very possible for Sam Bird and he's been fighting for for quite a while now. It's... I love Formula E because the way was it this year we had about sort of five drivers coming into the final round that was sort of mathematically sort of possible to take the win. I think it was... I, I think on the Saturday it was about three or four. Yeah. And then well, almost, it was decided on the Saturday, but... yeah. It was sort of one of those things that even down to the last moments, a bit like Formula 2 and Formula 3 last year, there was still multiple ways it could have gone. And I think in the end, obviously, the best driver on that day takes it. But it is, it's one of those series that always keeps you entertained. And yeah, like you said, Sam's been around for a while. He's part of the furniture of the sport. And I think it's it's about time he really took that big win. So we'll wait and see what happens there. Um, shuffling around to yet another McLaren team and another McLaren contract. Um, it's all kicking off in IndyCar, where Alex Pillow is reneging on a contract with Arrow McLaren. Uh, McLaren is suing Pillow and his racing entity, A. LPA Racing USA in separate lawsuits in the UK commercial court, weirdly enough. Um, Associated Press reported that the McLaren CEO, Zach Brown, had sent a letter to his employees detailing that Alex had no intention of honouring his contract for 2024, hence the lawsuit. Chip Ganassi, the owner of Polo's current team, uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, panned the claims, stating the position of McLaren regarding our driver is inaccurate and wrong, and he went on to claim that Zach Brown was now playing the victim. Uh, it gets odder still when you consider the performance of both teams involved. McLaren, much like in Formula One, is teetering on the edge of success after essentially taking over the Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports team in 2020. That's where the SP comes from, Arrow McLaren SP. Um, McLaren has made huge steps forward since then within the sport and vastly bolstered their team. Team, something that's actually quite tricky to do with an IndyCar, which has a very small talent pool to pick from outside of its drivers, even when you're looking at mechanics and team people. It is a small, small world. And McLaren reportedly took many of its new hires from Boeing, which was quite interesting, but it's proven to get results. And still, it's a fast-growing team and one soon to achieve greatness within sort of the world of Formula e, uh, IndyCar even. It's one that people are going, no, it's going to get somewhere. Um, 
So the question is, why would Pelot turn that down? It's a bit of an odd move, especially with the growth curve of Chip Ganassi Racing, seemingly coming to a bit of a plateau. So it's a matter of time before McLaren passes them. And uh, if he wanted it, I'd probably have kept that McLaren F1 seat open as well by joining the McLaren IndyCar team. If it's something that he really wants to make that move from America to the full sort of global series that is F1, McLaren's your one to go for, really. Um, and again, McLaren, they're making these big moves in IndyCar. They're moving to a new factory, a former Andretti site that's now capable of running double the number of cars the Papaya outfit currently has. So they're looking to introduce a fourth car from 2025, which coincides with both with uh, Joseph Newgarten, Christian Lungard, and Kyle Kirkwood all coming out of contract. So there's three drivers coming into the field and a fourth car potentially appearing on the table. This is a team that has big aspirations that it could well live up to. And uh, having Pelot in a car with any of those three drivers we've mentioned, plus two of their established drivers, likely Felix Rosenquist and Alexander Rossi, it would be a very formidable team. At the end of the day, Pelot's flippant and somewhat indecisive behaviour hasn't wounded McLaren tremendously. Instead, it's likely thrown up a few issues for him, though given he's 101 points clear of second-placed Scott Dixon at the moment, uh, with only three rounds left in the season he's still a deeply impressive driver and one that a lot of teams would certainly snap up should he suddenly come onto the open market and if rumors are to be believed williams and alpha towery have had conversations at various levels about employing his talents in formula one so all is not lost for the spaniard but what do you think what, what, what do you think alex Pelot's long-term plan is what's he trying to achieve so I think it just all goes back to last year, obviously in F1 and McLaren and everything, just well, all of McLaren really then starting Formula E and everything. I think Zach Brown had these huge ideas, sort of had these big goals of get all these drivers signed up to McLaren. Obviously we had the thing of like, none of them were actually confirmed to which driver was going in which seat until quite late. I think it all consists from these big ideas of sign as many people, sign as many good drivers as he possibly could and then with him being on the rise in F1, starting in Formula E, and then them getting like again on the rise in IndyCar as well. I think it was all this thing of just as many people as possible. And then you've got Pato Ward as well, as well as Alex Plow, sort of being directed as well towards the F1 seat. So I do wonder if sort of in the background somewhere, Alex Plow's got the idea if that F1 seat will never be his. So I wonder partly if he's pulled away from it because he's no longer going to get that opportunity towards the F1 seat rather than actually having anything to do to being part of the IndyCar team. So I think maybe he's trying to look around and, sort of, and create a long-term plan because what he did have as a long-term plan maybe has closed off. But obviously, with as always with contracts, like we don't always know, know what's going on in the background. The same obviously happened with Oscar Piastri last year. It was just a whole mess. So there could be a lot going on in the background of McLaren. But Zach Brown as well is maybe keeping quiet to be the victim in this and say, well, Alex has not lived up to what he said he was going to do. So there could be a lot more to it. But I think for me, even it's towards the F1 seat because as well, they've got Piastri who's looking good and the options have maybe just closed off for a future plan. Yeah, I don't think that sort of that gap at a McLaren F1 seat is still there for Pelot, especially if they've also got a bit of an eye on Pato Award. Because I believe both of them did a tyre test or like a, a rookie test last year, wasn't it, in Abu Dhabi? So obviously he knows he's got competition for that McLaren F1 seat and he knows that that's gotten harder seeing what 
Piastri has been able to achieve. So all of a sudden he's got to go, well, there's no point in tying myself to McLaren if there's no chance of getting that F1 seat. I might as well stick with what I know and look at a different F1 team if that's the possibility. So it's a it's a slightly crazy world there. We'll loop back quickly to Formula E. We ought to really mention their silly season as they line up for their 10th year. Uh, Robin Freintz has moved back to Envision after being with Abt Cupra for the year because Nick Cassidy left Envision for Jaguar, creating an all-Kiwi lineup there. After Sam Bird left the team after, I think it was three years, he was with um, Jaguar, wasn't he? Uh, it's been at definitely at least two. Yeah. But I think um, it has been longer. Yeah, and obviously he's moved to McLaren to replace it was Rene Rast, wasn't it, who was in before him. So it's it's been an interesting silly season in the world of Formula E, and it's one that's certainly rumbling on in IndyCar. There was another announcement earlier today that's possibly put Roman Grosjean's seat up for contention as well. It's put a bit of pressure on Tim. I can't remember who's just been signed there. Was it Ericsson? Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't get a chance to write that down because that down I was in the office, but I was like, ooh, that is spicy. Um, so, yeah. All the other motorsports have been providing ample entertainment while Formula One's been gone, which we love to see. Um, talk about roles and having jobs, though. Uh, Alpine still have no real team principal, just the interim principal of Bruno Famine, which uh, there's been no news on that one, which is interesting. Um, who can we expect to step into those roles full time? Who do you think would be a good fit, crucially? I... I would like to see the return of Cyril because he was a bit of an iconic character in the paddock. And I think he's he's part of what's missing in the paddock at the moment. Like there's obviously, but especially the last couple of years, there's been a bit of a switch round in all of the sort of head characters and all the teams and everything. Been a big switch round. I think this could be an opportunity for Cyril to come back, but also because he's currently at Hyundai Motorsport. Yes, he's gone to their rally division. Yeah, I believe yes. that's correct. Yeah, because I remember seeing... he looks he looks like he's having a nice time there as well. So he might be perfectly content doing that. But he for me, he is a missed character of the paddock. So I would love to see him come back. Also, again, there seems to be like this switch round of sort of all these head people between the teams. I think it's po- it's potentially a good chance for someone to step up to that role, like we saw like with James Vowles going from Mercedes to Williams and taking up that team principal role, I think it, there is a good opportunity there, especially as at the moment, as we said, it, they're looking like a bit of a slower down team. So it's a good opportunity for someone to take that role up. Yeah, if it's a it's a lower down team, essentially it's what Alpine sort of slipping towards. It at least gives you those opportunities to make a few mistakes. If you're further down the field, a mistake goes a lot more sort of lightly punished than if you were, say, Mercedes, Ferrari or Red Bull. And obviously we've seen even with uh, Red Bull, no, Ferrari's sporting director moving to Alpha Tauri to take over from Franz Tost as well. So it's it's not uncommon, like you said, to see these sort of these number twos with the teams moving to a different team to take up that step at the full, at the top end. So it'll be... Yeah, I think it'd be nice to have Cyril back. He was certainly like one of the OG Drive Survive characters as well. Like he was, he was always like a, a sort of PG safe version of um, Gunter Steiner, like the same character, yeah. slightly less swearing. Um, but equally, he seemed to get on with his drivers. He seemed to be able to communicate with drivers and communicate well, which I think is something that possibly Hyundai picked up on really early and went, actually, you'd be great for our rally division, something they've been doing quite well at since he sort of yeah. joined. I mean, obviously, we lost uh, one of their drivers early this year, whose name, Craig Breen, wasn't it, who unfortunately yeah. lost in a motoring accident earlier this year. But otherwise, they've had pretty good form through the rest of the season. He's been able to keep them motivated maybe the head honchos at Renault and Alpine are sort of regretting letting him slip away. Um, 
but we'll see what happens as Renault probably will look to fill that seat. I guess that, or, or eventually they'll just go Bruno, stay there, mate. It's not the worst thing that could happen to them. Um, meanwhile, in Milton Keynes, Red Bull powertrains, clearly utilising the spread, spare brain power that isn't needed for this year's championship, have reportedly got a testbed engine and electrical system running for essentially their sort of ongoing project, which is incredible work, really. Partnering with Ford moving forwards, the Milton Keynes-based outfit said, many developments are underway in the battery sector, though uh, through our co- cooperation with Ford, we have a partner who, like all automobile plants, is incredibly innovative in this sector. So they're looking at some interesting battery work and battery technology going forwards. Obviously, the new engines from 2026 are going to be a 50-50 split between the internal combustion units and the electrical power. If Red Bull are already looking at developing and finding something new to utilise that sort of battery power, the way it charges, the way it discharges, really put someone sort of the front foot going into that season certainly um this is also the first in-house built engine for the team as it's badged a red bull engine foremost which smarts um with the smarts and the sort of technology behind it supplied by ford at the end of the day um but bear in mind the current engine they run is called a red bull powertrain it is though just the inherited engine from honda so this ford derived unit will be the first official red bull unit but can we see anyone being a customer to red bull obviously beyond alpha towery or whatever they choose to call themselves moving forwards i would say you're looking at maybe a couple of the teams like especially with the from 2026 onwards the potential of new teams joining i would say with the strength that red bull very very clearly have at the moment that would be something that some of the new teams are maybe looking to partner with but then also you have the situation of Mercedes obviously used to be very strong, but are looking not weak at the moment, but still a little bit rough. So maybe you have the likes of Williams or McLaren potentially trying to separate themselves from that and actually work their way up. But then you look at the opportunity of Williams and that's probably something that Mercedes aren't going to want to lose because for them as well, that's seemingly a strong part of their driver development as well they've got quite a few drivers that are looking at going through williams so that's maybe something they don't want to lose but also the teams are all individual as well in the end realistically so they're going to be wanting to take their own opportunities and at the moment red bull is clearly the best opportunity really so i think like the likes of andretti coming in obviously very well known in the motorsport department they're going to want to come in and sort of make some noise straight away they're not going to want to come in and be in the background so yeah i think with williams certainly i know they sort of get their engines at a competitive rate but under the agreement that they're every now and then they give seats to mercedes junior drivers um similar hotel they did with george russell i think there was a bit of a sort of interesting meal deal going on there of you get russell but you and you get our engines it's hardly a bad one for williams um with andretti i think they keep mentioning they've got close ties with gm and cadillac and gm has done early prototype work on a Formula One engine. Obviously, Cadillac has returned to Le Mans and the Endurance Series. They've been running that socking great V8 thing in their hypercar, which sounds fantastic as it sort of disappears down the pits quietly on electric and then the V8 kicks in. You go, okay, that's noisy. Um, Obviously, I think they're going to have to rework that to fit the 1.6 litre V6 rule for Formula One. But the argument is they do know how to produce these sort of high intensity motorsport units with hybrid systems. But at the moment for 2026, Formula One has only confirmed that Mercedes, Ferrari, Audi and Red Bull will be producing power units. Um, Oh, and Renault. So we've got at least five on the market. 
it's it's interesting to see who's going to be buying from what. Aston Martin have confirmed that, oh, got, no, six even, because we've got Aston Martin and Honda. So we've got six power unit suppliers, which only really leaves four teams looking to buy. Which way do you go? Oh, I think anyone who's wanting to make a step forward and like has been sort of teeter on the edge of success at the moment, they're definitely going to be wanting to go towards Red Bull because obviously there's just so much success. They know that they've got the powerhouses of sort of all the brilliant minds of engineering have made their way to Red Bull. So that is something they're probably going to want to be going towards. But Red Bull are going to have to prove that it's actually good first, I think, as well. Mm. I think one to keep an eye on would be that Aston Martin with the Honda engine, purely because the amount of poaching that Aston Martin has already done of Red Bull brain power, all they've got to do is take the guys that know how to get the most out of the Honda engine in the back of the Red Bull and go, do you want to just move 20 miles up the road and work on the exact same engine? Because that's by and large what it's going to be. It's going to be sort of transposed to produce different power from different, obviously, fuel sources. But it's going to be people that understand the Honda way of working, the way Honda puts together engines. If you're Aston Martin, that's going to be where you're looking to try and sort of poach people from. So it's interesting times. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some big name sort of technology movers um, as the year rolls past. Um, Equally talking about technology and manufacturing, McLaren have spoken about their developments, mostly factory-based at the moment, as they start a new run of updates at home. Zach Brown uh, put out a statement saying that not having their own wind tunnel and running a 20-year-old sim, as well as being behind on CFD tech, were big holes in their program for producing competitive Formula One cars. But by January 1st next year, they will have everything in place to be a championship-challenging team once more, which is promising stuff. And equally, there's been other teams that have been sort of shoring up their prospects. Toto Wolff has um, named driver development director Jerome D'Ambrosio as his potential stand-in should he need to miss a race weekend. That's only happened three times in his tenure in the role, mind, but it's just one of those things where all the teams are really sort of trying to get everything in place because they've found recipes that work. They're just getting the small bits in place, which is interesting to see. Speaking of things that didn't have the small things correctly in place, um, W Series and their full bank has now come to the fore with 150 people, companies and groups being owed money. The total sum is £8,329,632.87, which is a pretty substantial bill. And there are some interesting names on the list and some staggering numbers. BT, which for non-British listeners is British Telecoms, it's like one of our big phone providers, uh, they are owed just £26.95. However, F1 Marketing is owed £1.3 million. So it's big numbers and it's not just companies it's individual people that have been caught up in this billy munger is owed thirty-eight thousand pounds lee mckenzie another one of the presenters sixteen thousand eight hundred. and interestingly a friend of mine and photographer lou johnson uh she's owed six thousand and twenty nine pounds and three pence um and then on top of that, you've got racetracks that appear on this list, which have been sort of have unpaid hosting fees. £71,147.82 uh, is currently owed to Singapore, with more across the other groups that run that circuit. Silverstone are waiting on £39,686.80. Miami is down 37 3 2 11 And Barcelona are requesting 66 grand from the now defunct series. There's some big numbers and big debtors that are waiting to be paid off in this. And the problem is they've got to try and pay all this off. They have about 700 quid left in the bank, which is not a lot. And uh, they need to sell off some of their existing assets or what remains of them, which is 19 chassis, 
which is an odd number, and some of their pit and garage equipment that's left. And given that a new Tautus um, chassis sells for about 65 grand, that does open up at least 1.2 million in cash. Um, the chassis is still in use in various Formula Regional series as well, so they do actually have this potential to be sold on a pretty good market value. But beyond that, it's a tricky one to see how they're going to liquidate and pay everyone off. It's yeah, it goes from worse to worse the more you hear about W Series, especially the fact that some of the drivers haven't even received prize money, which they've needed to enter other series. So it's it's not it's not good. Very messy. Like, yeah. Just I don't see how they're going to have a way out of this because they just don't have the facilities to to fix it. Like obviously, it was a very sudden thing to the public that. It actually went so downhill, but clearly this was a problem for a long time. Like all of last year, they must have been hemorrhaging money in a way, just trying to get get to the end of the season. But now they're just left in this situation of all these people, companies and everything owed money and they just don't have the money or the assets to do it, really. Yeah, they they got to the end of the Singapore Grand Prix and went, cool, we won't be seeing you in America, by the way. We've uh, haven't got, haven't got the dollar for that one, I'm afraid. And it was a shame. It was a great series and it was doing some really interesting work with promoting women in motorsport, both behind the wheel, in the garages, presenting. It was fantastic what it's done, equally in the fact that it sort of spawned F1 Academy off the back of it. It's had a positive knock-on effect, but equally, it's still left a lot of people in limbo and a lot of the drivers have had to look at other series or take a step back down the ladder just to try and get a drive because they haven't had the cash to be able to stump up for that next drive up no one's been able to take their prize money and go great i can buy myself an f3 seat they've had to jamie chadwick has been fortunate enough to win it so many times on the trot she's been able to afford an indie light seat but everyone else has had to sort of scrape together cash for f1 academy formula regionals formula fours and just sort of take what they can get it's for as much as the good it's done there's also a lot of careers it seems to have hampered so it's it's an interesting yeah. one to keep an eye on but at the end of the day it's I'd say it's definitely had its positives, but uh, it's now a bit of a sort of morbid curiosity watching it sort of get pecked apart and the fact that it's still hemorrhaging cash because they have an ongoing bill with Dunsfold Aerodrome because that's where all their stuff's stored, just in a big lock up there that they have to keep paying because they haven't sold all the stuff yet. So they're just renting a garage to put it in and that's costing them money still. Dunsfold, weirdly enough, the old Top Gear site has since been sold off and is being redeveloped for housing. So sad times for the old Top Gear aerodrome. Moving back to a favourite of yours, Liam Lawson and his grip on the Super Formula title slips a little after a mistake last weekend. Uh, he has two races left and mathematically can still take the win as the series heads back to Suzuka for the final two rounds. He's now just eight points shy of leader Ritomo Miyata, who took the lead from Lawson in Motegi after Liam spun and was crashed into on the opening lap. Prior to that, they were tied on points, so it's been a damn close run thing. And with points on the table for the top three in qualifying and then the top 10 finishers in each race, Lawson has plenty of chances to claw back the overall win, but needs a pretty faultless weekend. Have you been following the series? Has he sort of been enjoying it? I've been trying my best to, but obviously with it being in Asia, it's quite difficult for me to be in the times of it all. But any, any morning I wake up and it's been on, it's sort of the first thing I try to find out about. And waking up at the weekend and seeing that he'd had this this crash was not good. Like knowing that he'd, he'd had the championship lead back on Saturday and then Sunday that happened, it was not enjoyable. Especially like one of the things Liam's definitely known for is his ability to go into a new series and take it by storm. Like he will just, success after success, 
even despite obviously the issues he saw throughout Formula 2, he was doing so well, but there was a lot of issues there. But then the likes of DTM and sort of Formula 3, he's always turned up, got the job done, got it done well. But then it feels it's sort of this worrying moment now of is the same going to happen as to what happened? DTM goes down to the final round and he's just, he lucks out and it just doesn't happen. Because realistically, as much as a fan of him I am, I feel like winning the championship is his last chance to get that F1 seat. If he doesn't win the championship, Marco is going to be overlooking him again and it's going to be on to the likes of the Wasser and those all these other Red Bull people coming up the ladder at the moment. So it is it is worrying that it's happened so late in the season. It's so close between the top three. So I think there's like one point between Lawson and his teammate now who's in P3 as well. So it is worrying to look at. Yeah, it just it, it was a race that got off to a rough start because someone a bit further down the grid wasn't able to get off the line and then it just sort of descended into pandemonium going into that first turn. The last thing you want when you're fighting for a championship is to A, not score points, and then B, your closest rivals score a lot of points. And uh, yeah, it just, because it happened to him, you said in DTM last year, I think it was, he lost out to, I would say, Maximilian Gunter or something in the final round of the of the championship, wasn't it? It came down it to the wire. 2021. and Yeah. Um, Calvin van der Linde and it was a bit of a in my opinion a dodgy incident in turn one where it might have been a bit more than accidental pushing off track but wouldn't like to fully say that yeah it's it was definitely that down to the last round kind of thing yeah last round Liam Lawson is is not a person anyone wants to be because they seem to be plagued with bad luck but regardless we do wish him well the final round comes up in I want to say October it's a little or November it's a little way away uh, I think October yeah. yeah, so he's at he's least got, got time, time to piece himself together, get calm. And I mean, if it does come off badly, he can at least just go and join the Screaming Meals guys over in IndyCar because <laughs> that at least looks fun. And they seem to be having yeah. a good time with that. Um, speaking of Red Bull, uh, Max Verstappen has reportedly been caught speeding in an Aston Martin Valkyrie. The Adrian Newey road car project started when Aston Martin were title sponsors of Red Bull. Uh, so I think it was sort of Max's promised company car for a while. And uh, with a Cosworth-derived V12 engine and electrical added oomph, it is an absolute weapon of a car. I've saw them going up the hill at Goodwood Festival Speed and they are incredible. Um, Max, however, was reportedly caught speeding while behind the wheel of one last week. Uh, details and official statements are hazy at this time, so we're not really going to... Everything is reportedly, and we are not saying anything completely concrete at this point in time. So we'll see what happens. But everyone did sort of immediately hop on the hype train of, oh, what if you had to miss six races? Ah, oh, that'll give Sergio Perez enough time to catch up. But also, six races would put Daniel Ricciardo about P5 in the standings as they move him up to the Red Bull seat. It'll be interesting. Um, there is a weird mathematical possibility that even if Max missed six races, you put Danny Rick in that seat. Danny Rick won all of them, plus obviously sprints, faster lap points. Um, provided Hamilton and Alonso didn't score points for those six races, uh, Danny Rick would then be P3 in the standings. By a good that margin. would happily take. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you'd have a Red Bull 1-2-3 when it comes to the driver's standings. <laughs> yeah, sort of like... That would... Would that be a first team having three drivers in the top three of the standings? 
In the top three of the standings, certainly. It's obviously yeah. happened before where they've had drive teams have three drivers occurring points over a year. Um, so but the first time they'd have put in the top three for certain. So interesting stuff. Um, and one last note as we sort of shuffle towards the Dutch Grand Prix. Uh, Just Stop Oil, or at least the Dutch contingent, have been out in force in the Netherlands this weekend. So there is every chance you might see some disruption at the GP, though I can't imagine the Max Verstappen's orange army would be very happy if they see any trouble there so this well, could be a- what i'm worried about with that is obviously the color of just oil is basically the same color as the max verstappen army so how is security at least going to tell who's just a oil and who's just a very avid max verstappen fan it's it's really good camouflage and again it goes to this argument that if if you want to get into any major sporting or social event of the year just join Just Stop Oil. They seem to have an in with every ticket retailer. Because, of course, we saw them appear at Wimbledon. We saw them appear at the Ashes. We saw them appear years back at the British Grand Prix. Like, they seem to be able to get you an in to anything. So They turned up at my graduation. Did they? Yeah. Um, not specifically my graduation ceremony, but a couple of days before, there was a Just Stop Oil protest at a graduation. <laughs> well... There's your takeaway from the podcast. If you really want to get along to a big social event or sporting occasion, join Just Stop Oil, I suppose, but please don't ruin the Grand Prix um, or put marshals at safety. That was the biggest thing that came out of the when they attended the British Grand Prix was yeah. the fact they put marshals' lives at safety. And obviously, while we appreciate their cause, uh, putting vo- volunteer workers at risk is uh, frankly unacceptable. Um, we'll move on before I get myself into too much of a sticky problem there. That was just 10 bullet points. Uh, that was some 1,500 words on the script. So we'll look ahead to the Dutch Grand Prix and what weather can we expect. Uh, Thursday is looking to be warmish and dry. None of the heat wave that seems to be again battering southern Europe. 24 degrees Celsius with cloudy spells and a 20% chance of rain set up for the sort of set up an inspection day around the track. Friday is looking a little cooler, 21 degrees Celsius and a 25% chance of rain along the Dutch coast. Gustier than before with wind speeds of up to 33 kilometers an hour. I don't know if that's a joke from Dutch weather forecasting because of course Max Verstappen's old number, Um, but there is an increasing risk in thunderstorms. Saturday, however, is looking changeable. There could be dampness on track early after a light shower overnight, 20 degrees Celsius through the day, sunny and showery spells as well, though. Uh, Chance for a jumbled up qualifying. The question is, will we see teams making the same mistake that McLaren did at Spa where they locked in the wrong setup? Do you think that teams are going to shy away from that a bit, having seen the sort of disastrous impact it had on McLaren? I, I I would think that's probably a mistake that will definitely be learned from. Obviously, Weather, well, as very well experienced, weather's very changeable. We haven't really felt like we've had summer at all, but also now it's quite warm outside. So I think it's going to be a bit of a have plans for every kind of situation kind of thing at the moment. And it'll be plans set sort of at the last minute, depending on what it is, more than have a solid idea and hope it goes well. Yeah, we might be able to continue the seemingly ongoing trend of a lot of the Saturdays for F1 being wet at the moment as well. A lot of wet qualifying sessions, which does at least spice things up a little bit. Um, Sunday, however, is said to be wet in the morning, which will prove interesting for Formula 2. Though come the afternoon, there won't necessarily be rain coming down from the sky, but it could still be wet underfoot. With relatively high track evolution, rubber deposition will be high leading up to the GP, providing prime conditions for qualifying if it's dry enough. But with the bulk of the weekend's rain expected through the Saturday and into the Saturday evening as well. 
we could be going racing on a greener track than anticipated. So the question is, which on-track battles should we look out for? At the front of the field, it's certainly uh, still a strong performance from Red Bull and Perez looking to come into this second half of the season closer to Max than he has been, but we'll wait and see if he's able to pull that off. Behind them, there's every chance it could be a seven-way fight for the non-Red Bull step on the podium. Fernando Alonso is still driving with immense form, and hopefully some work over the summer will see the Aston Martin catch up in the development race. Meanwhile, Mercedes and Ferrari will likely face competition from McLaren, with the six drivers across those teams vying for that podium finish. A medium to slow speed circuit tips this rather more in favour of the Mercedes, whose fine balance is a lot better than the other two, though through the medium speed corners, McLaren's natural poise puts it in strong stead. Ferrari will have their work cut out to find a setup that can bring the fight. Equally, this is a slower circuit than Spa. Mercedes won't have to deal with the porpoising that seems to have made a return on their car. Alpine need to reform themselves after a muddled up end to their opening leg of the year. The car is capable and with a good approach the weekend could see them some secure, securing some much needed points. It's a real guessing game though to figure out who comes next and not to give away my allegiances, it, ideally it would be Williams who have some strong pace of late and if they can find a compatible setup for the dunes could score the remains of the field. Um, Alfa Romeo are another team that could put on a good show around the tight layout of Hungary. They had a promising one lap pace and with narrow confines around Zandvoort ahead, they could put some pressure on the rest of the field. Haas and Alfa Tauri remain and in reality have a lot of work to do moving forwards. Haas and specifically Hülkenberg could qualify well here with overtaking at a premium. They can capitalise on that provided they can operate a clean race and a competent strategy. Alfa Tauri, however, will just have to see what happens. They had glimmers of hope in the final two rounds of the first half with their drivers running well, but they were rather hampered by pit stop issues or bad qualifiers. Have you got anything to counter my my theories and predictions there at least i would say maybe alfa romeo because they've they've announced was it today either yesterday or today they've got special livery for the weekend as well i don't know will there be a curse of uh special livery a little bit or could because sometimes you do see that a little bit but you do get the curse of the special livery but if you're that far down the field does it really have that significant an impact is the big question yeah will we notice with the likes of alpine and Logan Sargent still training round at the back. Yes, yeah. If your if your sort of back marker is Logan Sargent, obviously it's no longer Nick De Vries. So you're sort of just in a bit of a no man's land in the Alfa Romeo. Even if you're hit with a bit of a special livery curse, it might not really dent your race too badly. So oh, we we have seen a bit of a slow performance at some races, especially from Bottas this year. It sort of looked. <sighs> Looked quite good last year in the Alfa Romeo, and this year he's been struggling quite a lot, I would say, a little bit. So He's just getting into his Kimi years at this point in time. I genuinely think he's doing this for fun and to save up enough money to go sort of full-time gravel race cycling and just spend it dressed up as Duffman, which did look pretty incredible, to be fair. He he pulled that one off really well. He Um, did. Also, because he won, was it Best Costume or something, he got like... He and his teammates got uh, given like their own weight in beer, but obviously they weren't going to be able to drink it all. So what they did was they shared it out amongst all the other competitors and the spectators, which is just a standard Valtteri Bottas W, really. Yeah. Um, so we'll move on from our sort of predictions as to the on-track battles to our outright predictions. And 
there are four predictions I've got in front of me. I've got Timo's and Ellie Mays, and it is a clean sweep when it comes to pole position. I think we're all all strong in the faith that it's going to be a Max Verstappen pole. We don't believe he's going to be in jail for this race, so it's a clean sweep for Max there, at least. Uh, so we'll shuffle into the podium, and we'll deal with the two absentees first. Again, they're both reckoning on a Verstappen win. Uh, Timo thinks Luke Perez is going to have some form coming into the second half of this season with a P2 and then Leclerc P3. Ellie May, meanwhile, speculates Leclerc is going to be P2 with Alonso P3. So some interesting bits there. And you and I have both agreed on our P2s of Lando Norris. I'm enjoying the success he's having at the moment. I, I quite wish it to continue. Just also managed to have a very random chat with Zach Brown at Goodwood. And he seemed quite confident that it's going to continue as well, as he usually does. So He seemed very confident. He was on a radio show earlier today, yesterday, where he was joking about like differences between teams. And he joked about uh, Fernando Alonso absolutely schooling Lance Stroll this year in the standings, which was quite funny and a little harsh. But at the end of the day, I mean, he's... I think he's enjoying the success his team is bringing and certainly the efforts he's put in. But yeah, Norris is... Coming into the season, this season so far has really sort of found his feet. I think McLaren is going to be fairly well suited to Zandvoort, so we'll wait and see there. We differ, however, when it gets to our P3s. I've gone for Perez. I reckon that at the end of the day, you're not going to do much against the pace of the Red Bull. But you reckon Leclerc could have the form to, to get it up on that third step? I like to think so. I think I've lost faith in Perez a bit for the start of the season just because of the inconsistencies in Q3. Obviously, then during the race, the car performs as it always does. But I think just with how many people are fighting for that P3 podium position now, I think I'm hoping at least this weekend it's going to get a little bit messy and maybe Leclerc might just be able to pip him to the post a little bit. We do often see a little bit of often pit lane chaos because it's a very narrow pit lane at Zandvoort. So we often see some interesting incidents there. I think there's been times of drivers running over wheel guns and well, even last year we saw, wasn't it someone crashed into the pit wall going down the main straight and had to be recovered? It was Bottas, I think, wasn't it? Maybe, yeah. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last year or the year before. Yeah, I think so. But it's certainly a, a circuit that when something goes wrong, it does throw things into a bit of disarray. So it's not an out of out of realms possibility prediction of Leclerc P3. Um, the fastest lap, however, we have all gone different. Uh, again, starting with the absentees, Timo is sticking with Carlos Sainz as, until it happens, uh, which is his sort of running pattern. He'll pick a driver and then when they get a fastest lap, he picks a different one. Ellie May has gone for George Russell. I've gone for Verstappen because it leads into my overall wild prediction. And you've gone for Hamilton. I just, again, I, I did consider Russell, but then... Also, just to make make them all different again, I thought Hamilton, just because, again, Mercedes do have that potential. They are up there again now. They can do the quick last lap pit for the soft tyres and get the fastest lap. So I think it realistically is a bit of a decision between Hamilton and Russell, just whoever's doing better, really, or whoever just takes it on the day. I think it's just again, it's one of it's not out of the realms of possibility. It's a sensible prediction for certain. Then we get to our wild predictions where Timo has gone. A bit strange and gone for we have more than 40 overtakes so we're gonna to have to trawl through the data post race to see if that's happened um i assume he also means on track because i'm not going to allow him any off uh, pit lane overtakes uh ellie may has gone lando norris finishes higher than lewis hamilton which i don't think is unlikely um i've gone for a verstappen grand slam at home because 
I think the crowd will go absolutely bonkers if he wins with fastest lap from pole, having led every lap of the race. I think that'll be true Verstappen way of winning his home race. Um, but you've gone a little further down the field. Sergeant scrapes to just outside the points. So uh, what, P11, P12? Yeah, about P12, P13. Just maybe he's had a good summer, had some nice time, rested, and he's just ready to go again. And we won't see him trailing around the back like we have the season so far. But Would that be his highest race finish this season? That is, um, my, that is my question. See, had, see, I feel like he's had a P14. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he's had a 14, so. See, it's not unlikely. Ooh, ooh, no, no, Bahrain finished 12th. Oh, okay. And he finished 11th in Britain as well. Not so unlikely then. It's not, again, out of the road. The car was fast going at uh, uh, Silverstone. So if Williams are able to get it on point this weekend, there's no reason that for that to, that to not come home true. Wait and see what happens there. Um, so that rounds out our predictions and very much rounds out this episode, which I thought was going to be about two hours long, but we seem to have rattled through the news in a relatively efficient manner. So that brings us to the conclusion. Have you got any final things you want to chuck out there? I don't think so. Just nice to have F1 back, I guess, really. It is and good can't, to have Can't it wait for at least twice hearing the Dutch national anthem this weekend. Yeah, we'll have whatever interpretation takes us on the grid. And then, of course, there will almost certainly be it on the podium. I think it is without a doubt, really. Um, so that is very much all we've got time for. Join us again soon when we'll be reviewing the Dutch Grand Prix and the Formula 2 action from across the weekend. So make sure you've liked, subscribed and got notifications turned on to not miss anything. In the meantime, Imi, where can the people find you? On Instagram as Immy Cousins and on Twitter and TikTok as Immy underscore Cousins and then also writing and creating content for along the racing line. Fantastic. And if you want more of me for whatever reason, uh, I can be found on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok as uh, at Jesse on Cars as well as writing for Classic Car Weekly. I think when this goes out, you'll be able to pick up the latest issue, which has a big preview of the Silverstone Festival and lots of my pictures in there and all the things to look out for if you're heading up to Northamptonshire this weekend. And if you really want some Ellie Mae content as well, she can be found on our Instagram page where she does a load of our graphics as well as on our TikTok account. She's also joining me at Silverstone, so there'll be plenty of live content from the home of British Motorsports this weekend. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.